that's sort of the value of having the label on the product is that it makes it quick and easy for the consumer because the consumer tells us if we ask the consumer, they say, yeah, I want to buy products that are safe for my family. I want to buy products that are made in a more sustainable way. Now you can really get into some tricky questions about are they willing to pay more for it or not? But um, if you ask them those questions, they want to do it. But they, we also know that they're um, making shopping decisions really quickly. So you have to get that information in their hands and they have to be able to do it. And so... I'm Charmaine. I'm Katie. And this is Unpacking Ethical. A podcast where we sip our favorite drinks at the moment. And talk about some things. Because there's nothing ethical about upholding the status quo. Let's talk about it. This week on Unpacking Ethical. Okay, so we are back for another episode of Unpacking Ethical. And we have Salma back with us. I don't know if you guys remember her from last season when we unpacked sustainability. But now we've got an extra special guest with us named Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Yeah. hey Ben, do you want to tell the people who you are? Absolutely. So I'm um, glad to be here uh, talking with you guys today. I'm uh, Ben Mead with the Hohenstein Institute. So we're a textile testing laboratory. Uh, we're based in Germany, part of the Ocatex Association. So we um, do all types of textile testing for product safety, for performance, for sustainability. Um, and then through Ocatex, we really do a lot of work around consumer facing standards and, and helping consumers to understand, okay, as they're quickly making decisions about what they're buying, or even they're really looking into it a little bit more closely. Uh, how, do, how do they understand and how they make the better better choices about their textiles and get what they think they're getting out of it? So, Yes, so we've got a lot to unpack there, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But first, then, we want to know what you're drinking. Today, uh, I don't know, sort of in the middle, I guess, just some sweet tea, some good old-fashioned that's yeah, a Long Island iced tea, isn't it? No, this is just <laughs> Long Island tea today. So I grew up in North Carolina, and so I, I Long Island, yeah, fresh, fresh tea, nice and sweet. That, is it super sweet? Not, not super sweet. I don't want to be okay. thirsty after I'm done drinking, but I, I do want it a little bit sweet. So are we gonna? Um, can we unpack some of the words? That wait, you- wait, wait, wait. Are we not doing that yet? Okay, you are the. Host. Oh, I gotta talk about my drink. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm all business today. Sorry. No, no. Drink. <laughs> I have to talk about my sparkling little juice here. With some, it's guava and dragon fruit. Oh, wow. All kinds of antioxidants. I know, right? Okay. It's extra pink, too. Gorgeous. I'm like, I feel like I needed something to, like, put off the Christmassy vibe that I've got going on here. So <laughs> It's very coordinated but in a punchy way is it it? i would like to say i'm drinking water i'm just gonna i'm so sorry but yes i'm katie hi ben um it's nice to see your face um i'm drinking water today i'm very water isn't boring it's it's great i put a little lemon in there so i added something special to it it's extra hydrating yeah it is So uh, Salma is like really, really badly wanting to tell her story. I wanted to so, tell a good story. 
it's just Charmant said something about Ulfgotech, and we had no idea how to pronounce it one day. Like this was weeks and weeks ago when you first mentioned it to me, maybe, maybe even a month or two ago. And I was happily walking through Costco, looking at their sheets, and they had some beautiful sheets. And lo and behold, I see that, I see the logo, I see the little Ulfgotech symbol. And I thought, this is what Charmant was talking about. And they were absolutely gorgeous sheets. They felt great. I bought some, I'm sleeping on them, they're wonderful. And I thought, okay, I have no idea what this means. So, you know, you mentioned just now that you want to help consumers make great decisions about stuff, but looking at that thing, the only reason it hit me was because Charmant had mentioned it. So tell me, what am I supposed to, what is the branding here? What am I supposed to think when I see Okatech? Yeah, so Okatex is a, a, a standard, Okatex, yep. Um, so it's it's been around for about uh, 30 years. It started in Germany and Switzerland um, as they were having some, some changes in the dynamics of the way textiles were produced. You know, so similar to the U.S., textile production was moving overseas. Um, they were introducing new legislation, and so consumers were concerned about you know, they were learning, beginning to learn a little bit more about, oh, there actually are tech chemicals used in the production of our textiles. Maybe they hadn't thought of that before or thought about that before. And so um, at the same time, the industry was really looking at, okay, how do we, how do we uh, make sure that as production is moving to different countries, that we make sure it's still safe and the customers are still getting the same level of quality that they expected. So the industry at the time sort of came to to Hohenstein and to a, another testing laboratory and said, hey, we need some support. We need we need to one, be able to test the products and make sure that they're safe and that they meet you know, our expectations. And two, we need to communicate it to the consumer. So we need uh, some sort of label that's independent from us as the brand, as the manufacturer, because they were concerned that the, just like people are concerned today, that the consumer might be skeptical. If I produce the product and I say, hey, trust me, it's safe. I don't know if everybody's going to trust every single brand, right? And so that's um, that's sort of the value then and of, of where Okatex got started 30 years ago with this one standard that was really about testing products for harmful substances. And so we fast forward today, um, Okatex still exists, but now with a platform of different standards. So there's some standards for manufacturing facilities, there's standards for chemical suppliers, and then like you guys have experienced, standards and labels on the consumer products, uh, both for tested for harmful substances, but also uh, a separate label. And, and you haven't really said, but maybe the label you saw actually said made in green on it. And that made in green label says that the product is still safe from harmful substances, but is also manufactured in a more sustainable way. So this is like super interesting because um, you think about all the different certifications out there, like, you know, the USDA has the organic thing, and then there's also the, um, what is the, the, like, more international organic testing thing? Somebody help me out. Like a fair trade type label sometimes. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, we have fair trade labels. We have, there is an actual organic, like an international one that's not USDA oh, that is like. Oh, yeah, the, the one in Europe. I know what you mean. Uh, yes, the GOT, the GOT label. Oh, GOT. So, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So Ocotex is a whole nother thing, though. So when you guys say, hey, this has an Ocotex label and these products are safe, like what does that actually mean? Yeah. So it doesn't mean organic, right? It just means 
True. It doesn't mean organic. It could be organic, but we're not, yes. we're focused really on the chemicals that are used right. in the manufacturing of the textile, not so much in the chemicals that are in the growing of a natural fiber um, or even then the traceability of an organic claim all the way through the product. Although um, there are some special due diligence requirements for, for companies that are claiming organic or claiming recycled. But in the end, our main focus is to make sure that companies that are getting a product with that standard 100 label on it, you know, truly have the confidence that that product has been tested and is safe from harmful substances. So that happens the whole way through the supply chain. So we buy a product from a retailer, you know, that retailer maybe worked to design the product. They picked the manufacturer that did the final cut and sew of it. And then that company may have worked with several other partners to do the, do the fabric, to do the dyeing, to do the printing, whatever it may be, to also source other trims, stitching threads, buttons, labels, whatever they may be. And then even further back from that, those raw materials themselves are made. So okay. a, lot, a lot of times what we see is that the, the, the testing that happens within that label should really happen at the place where the chemicals are chosen and where those manufacturers know what they put into it. So when you mentioned the word sustainable a couple of times, and and the idea of green and sustainable, they mean so many different things. Like we bring our emotional baggage to a lot of that without, and this is part of what unpacking, the unpacking that we do here in terms of defining what, because there are many dimensions of sustainable, right? Um, you know, there's how things are produced, there, there's, there's the safety, you know, are they ethically, you know, they're the ethical for us to actually consume and live on and live with, um, you know, impact, you know, there's all this stuff built into, and there, 20 other things, honestly, right? Um, so, and not everything can meet all of those standards. So it's always interesting to kind of try to understand and the label is never adequate for this from my point of view. And I'm not as well-versed in this stuff as Charmaine. She's been thinking about this for much longer, but I'm sort of new and I'm trying to sort of decide, you know, what does this particular word mean in this context? So can you help us understand when you say sustainable for this particular product, um, what what you what you mean? Yeah, so I think I mean it's really good points. I mean, one that how do you get all that information to a consumer in a label if oh, they're making yeah. a quick shopping decision? I mean, now we see habits are changing and people are buying online a little bit more, and so that's giving them access to 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 do a little bit more of that research rather than if I'm walking by and I think something looks cool or looks beautiful and I want to buy it, then then I may be trying to factor all that stuff in at the same time, um, but. <clears throat> It is. It also is important, I would say, through Okatex for those labels. It, if somebody gets the impression that okay, I'm buying this because of this label, that it's very clear to them. What does that mean? And so that's, you know, two very distinct differences for the two consumer labels from Okatex as well. Standard 100. The messaging is very clear. This is about product safety. It's about the product being tested, and in that sense, it means chemical safety, right? And that, you know, that could have some trickle down effects in terms of worker safety because that's going to improve the, the chemicals that are used in a facility. It's going to improve the uh, outputs from those manufacturing facilities. But the claim on the product is really that the product is safe and you know it's safe because it's been tested. And that's a little bit different story from the Made in Green label, which says, okay, it still has to go through all of that testing process. We still have to have that baseline of the chemical testing. But in, a, in the Made in Green label, there is this uh, there is this added value of the supply chain that it was made in 
has been validated as well. And so some of these other you know, key attributes of sustainability are addressed more at the facility level than directly on the product level. So we start talking then about at the facility level, how do you measure water use, energy use, wastewater impacts, all of those things. And so again, that's so difficult to communicate to a consumer with a little like three inch box on a pro on the back of a, of a, of a banding on a set of sheets. Yeah. So, so uh, along with that is this microsite that, that goes along so the consumer can scan the QR code, they can look up the number and they can go in and see, okay, who is that supply chain, right? I bought this at Costco, but Costco didn't make it in taking your example, right? So with those, with those labels, you have the opportunity then to show to the consumer and to really share that story of, okay, the sheets were made in this country. The fabric that went into making the sheets came from this country. And maybe the stitching thread came from a third country and really understanding what's happening in those facilities. So um, I think it's very important to say, if I say something is sustainable or more sustainable or brings a sustainability attribute, like to define that better, what does that really mean? Is that an initiative that the Go Green part of it, that's was built into the Okatex model for how to, who they want to do business with and they're tracking all of this information and curating it. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So if, if a brand decides that they want to have that on their product, then they really have to work backwards through their supply chain and make sure that their manufacturing partners are on board with it, have gone through the certification process. Because sometimes it means just having the product tested and sometimes it means more intensively going and over a period of three or six months auditing that facility and really understanding not just what they tell us that they're doing, but what we can observe that they're really doing in their facility. So can we talk about that a little bit? Can we talk about that a little bit? Just that certification process, because a lot of times it is just that auditing aspect or what people you know tell you they're doing. So what do you guys do in order to actually certify um, these brands or the yeah. products themselves? Yeah. So the, the, the certifications are for the products. So companies don't have to be, you know, they have it, they don't have to have made it to their end goal that every single product is done. They can be a work in progress and that's okay. We love to see that. Right. So they, um, if they're working towards standard 100 certification where they're going to have the products tested, they're filling out an application. They're tell us, telling us about their processes. They're telling us about their inputs. Um, and then they're sending us samples that we're sending to the lab we're sort of dissecting those samples and then we're doing the testing on them to find out what's really in them and making sure that they meet the requirements. And then following that, we're going and visiting them. You know, they've told us information about themselves in their application. Can we confirm that's true? And I would say what's even more important is making sure that they have uh, more or less a quality management system in place that's going to allow them to reliably and, and reproducibly make those textiles. So, it's great. It's important. It's mandatory that the textiles they submit to us pass the testing. But what's more important is that everything that they're producing going forward is going to continue meeting that requirement. And so it gets a little bit more complicated when you start to add in some of those other sustainability attributes. Um, when, when you want to go to the facility and you want to understand, okay, this company has told us they have this best management practice in place around water or low impact dying or whatever it may be. And so then when you're going into the facility, you're seeing, is that really existing? Are they understanding what they're doing? Are they, are they really implementing some of those things um, all the way through? And you're, and you're looking at that point of all of the different uh, aspects. So we're looking at 
chemicals inventory in the facility. We're looking at what are they doing all the way down to social compliance and worker safety and you know rights rights around uh, collective bargaining and working hours and working conditions and all of those things as well. So is this like an evolving standard? Do you see this as like a minimal standard or are you guys sort of moving in a more stringent, like as, you know, as things are sort of moving toward more sustainable production? Um, yeah. do you see, is this an evolving set of criteria that you're certifying? Or yeah, it, yeah it's, it's definitely not static um, and it's definitely not, not minimal. I mean, so we have companies coming all the time um, that are wanting to learn about it and, and they have to then kind of over, you know, overcome that learning curve and understand, okay, do, can they achieve the standard? I mean, it's not, it's not a surprise. The requirements are available to them online. And so they can easily access what should they have to achieve um, to be able to do it. So a lot of times they've done that pre-research on their own, but from a, from a chemical requirement standard, it's, it's probably the strictest within the, within the, the like retail environment. So we, there are other standards that kind of cover from a minimum standpoint, legal compliance, and that could mean something different for everybody, right? If I'm only selling in the U.S., my benchmark for legal compliance on chemical chemicals and products is pretty low compared to other places in the world. Um, so even at a minimum, if a company is selling in the U.S. and they're compliant with the standard 100, they're going way above and beyond what their minimum legal requirement um, is. Um, and then certainly from the made in green label, um, it's, it, you know, there's some elements of it that are, that are minimum threshold criteria that everybody has to meet. And some of those are based on legal requirements like social compliance laws and worker safety laws and things like that. But there are a lot of things in there that are really uh, voluntary things. So we, we see companies achieving them in the market, but it's certainly not something that you just take for granted. Everybody can achieve the standard. So I'm super curious. I'll be a little nosy. <laughs> I am wondering, like, what kind of um, things or, or situations happen where brands maybe think they know what they're doing and, and they don't really? Or it's not really maybe up to, to your part. Like, what, what is that conversation? Great like? question. <laughs> How many people do you turn down? Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, it, it's not so much uh, a case of tons of people getting turned down because they, again, they have to invest a lot of time and money and to go through those certifications. So, you know, even just on the standard 100, where we say it's pretty straightforward, uh, there are people that fail the, the requirements. So we test the product and it doesn't meet one of the criteria. Um, like and a lot of times that's a learning curve for them. Well, they test the product and they didn't realize that it had formaldehyde in it or whatever the substance may be um, because again they didn't do the dyeing they didn't do the finishing so they didn't put the chemistry in there they might have asked their supply chain and somebody has told them and so yeah certainly you you think okay you probably have cases where somebody tried to just like push it through the system and figure nobody was going to catch it um, and then there are other cases where it really has been an eye-opening experience for companies where they're having to go back down to their factory partners and then even down to the chemical suppliers who in the past has told them, no, we don't have that chemical in our formulation. And they tell them, oh yes, we, you know, we, we tested it, we found it. And then ultimately you find the source and they're able to improve, improve the product. Accountability. Uh, yeah. Well, I feel like yeah. I'm curious about like, since y'all have been doing this for such a, a quite a while, what measures, you know, I guess, have you taken to kind of address the fact that this needs to be a standard to begin with? 
Does that make sense? Like the fact that people have to go and get a special certification to sort of like show that, you know, this is safer than what's normally on the market. Like, is the company involved in any other, I don't know, like policy or any other kind of like behind the scenes type movements to where we can kind of address the fact that people have to go and pay for a special certification to, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm curious about that. Yeah. I mean, more from like an advocacy standpoint or more of like an, an NGO type work is, is what I took, took from that question. Like, are we <laughs> going to the government agencies and saying, Hey, we're seeing this in products. You guys should start regulating it. Right. Sort of or yeah, if that's something that's even happened, if, are there conversations happening? Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, so we, we address it more from, you know, our seeing our, our role um, certainly as, a service provider and a, a company that really has a lot of, of textile knowledge, a lot of uh, connections to the supply chain, and I able to identify why and where certain things should, you know, could be used and and where other issues might be. But we don't we don't really take a big ad advocacy role. I mean, we certainly uh, coordinate with a lot of. <laughs> you know, even brands you see sort of working and understanding, okay, we've invested a lot of these resources and they sometimes are taking the the perspective as well that those supply chains are shared. And so if they can, you know, collaborate in this, in this pre-competitive space where uh, they all benefit and it's not a competitive disadvantage for one or one or the other, we, we see a lot of alignment around that. And so we certainly participate in some of those organizational groups um, like in in the U.S., you know, the American Apparel and Footwear Association um, has some efforts around it. There's a group called Affirm that does a, mm -hmm. a lot of work that's working with leading leading brands, and they're really going beyond legislation. Where AFA's um, approach is really about making sure that everybody is at least aware of what the legal requirements are. Um, you know, there there certainly is a whole group of companies that want to know you know, what's coming in, in, the, in the future? What should we be proactively mm -hmm. trying to get ahead of before legislation might force us to do it? Because that, that's just not their approach. They don't want to be waiting for legislation to force but them. Right. That's really confusing because uh, we're talking about multinational space here, right? So what is the sort of legal precedent that you guys hold as your standard? Is it the European Union, since you're a German-based or... Because uh, this kind of thing is so important when you're dealing with, you know, really stringent compliance at, in some locations around the globe and others that have zero compliance. So what's the standard that you guys adhere to? Or maybe you've made your own standard that's more stringent than any government. Like, what is the standard? Yeah. So at, at the very minimum for Okatex, like you pointed out, you know, our our customers the brands and retailers that want to use the standards again because they want a third-party validation of it are selling across the globe. So for them, the minimum has to be legal legal requirements everywhere. Um, and beyond that, Okatex is is adding to those requirements. So within each of the standards, the the member institutes. So Hohenstein is is a member institute. We would say lab in the U.S., but the institutes are the ones with the the real technical knowledge that are visiting facilities and those things meet on a regular basis and annually update their standards. So when a company gets certified this year, they're, they're required to renew that certification again in the following year that the certification requirements are different for them the following year, because that standard is always evolving and changing based on what we're learning, what data we're seeing um, and how we want to enable 
customers to stay ahead of what's the minimum requirements, right? Because it is a voluntary standard, so we can hold that position. We don't, you know, it's not mandated that you have to do this, and that's where you have to stop. So the companies that are doing it are really going forward because they want to be above where they need to be. So safety has this compliance burden, right? But the green part doesn't, or does it? So talk to us about the sta- where that standard comes from. Yeah, I mean, in those cases, again, there's some minimum requirements that we would think of. So we see that addressed within a, a step certification where we're going in and visiting a facility. So um, wastewater requirements. So whether that's how much volume of wastewater you're able to emit or the quality of that wastewater that you're sending out or air emissions in a facility that are, come into worker safety. So we do see some compliance legal requirements there. Um, and so that again becomes like the benchmark. Everybody has to achieve to be able to achieve that, whether it's uh, the local legal requirements or a stricter uh, OCATEX requirement, then that's that's what the standard says you have to meet. And then b- above and beyond that, um, they have other opportunities where they can demonstrate best practices. And what that does is gain them points. It incentivizes, we incentivize them to achieve those higher levels by saying, okay, if you can achieve this, if we're satisfied in the initial visits, then we don't have to come and visit you so often. So we don't have to come and be in your space once a year for two or three days. If we come and we see, okay, this is a facility that is, you know, super performing, they're, you know, they're going way above and beyond all of these requirements. And we have high confidence that that's a facility um, that we can establish trust in, then maybe we just go back and spot check them in a year and a half. And then we spot check them again on a three-year cycle. And, and so they're incentivized for us to be there less because that costs them less. Um, and so then that's mutual, mutually beneficial. Um, we, we get a, a facility that we can have high confidence in um, and, and they get some cost savings. So I, I kind of want to piggyback off of what Katie said and in dealing with, you know, just that this should already be a standard and, you know, now we're having to, to go out and get these certifications. But I really want to talk about like why that's important. Why is it important to have these certifications and why is it important that these like really just be the standard for the way people produce their, their products? Yeah. Do you want me to be super blunt? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think in general, I think it's a misconception of the U.S. consumer. I think that the U.S. consumer expects that the government is taking care of that for them, whether it's chemical safety or the sustainability of the way the mm. product is produced. Um, so they just expect that, OK, if I'm in the U.S. and I'm buying a product that somebody must have regulated that. I don't have to take the time to really research it. And if you dig into it, you realize it's it's not it's not true. Right. And so. Well. It, it it might not be true, right? So we don't yeah. know, and that's the big challenge, and that's sort of the value of having the label on the product is that it makes it quick and easy for the consumer because the consumer tells us, if we ask the consumer, they say, yeah, I want to buy products that are safe for my family. I want to buy products that are made in a more sustainable way. Now you can really get into some tricky questions about are they willing to pay more for it or not? But um, if you ask them those questions, they want to do it, but they, we also know that they're, um, making shopping decisions really quickly. So you have to get that information in their hands and they have to be able to do it. And so, and for some people, it's, it's going to be the case that they want to have access to the information. They may even not dig through all of the information, even that Okatex makes available for them, but having it there in front of them and giving them the ability to do it, um, 
is you know is what we're seeing as a trend that com that companies want to do that and and you see it a little bit more in products where the the brand cachet of that product is not as heavy right so if i think yeah. back to our to our sheet to our sheets example right i'm maybe i'm not the best sheets consumer but i'm not looking for some brand name all the time on my on my sheets right so i in that case it might be that the way it was made and the, the sustainability attributes of the material or the manufacturing facility or the chemicals used in it is more important than in, than in some other aspect where it may be more fashion driven. I, I'm very mindful of like the consumer and the society that we, majority of us are, are kind of almost forced to operate within and not having access to, you know, the information and even more so not even having the, the the resources to access the clothing that's supposed to be healthier for us. And that's intentional. So um, yeah, like the government also kind of, I'm not going to say what, I'm not going to say that, but there's, I feel that it's designed that way and it's, it's been that way for a long time. And so um, I think I've, what I've seen is that people I don't know anybody that you, like you said, that you would ask if they want, of course people want, you know, healthy food for their families. People want, you know, better materials to put on their bodies. Um, people want clean water. Like people want to have and should be able to have access to those things, but we don't all function in a way that allows us to have access to that. And so it's designed that way. And so I, while we have some responsibility as consumers, you know, sometimes in some cases our hands are almost tied because we're kind of tied up in this cycle where we are almost some of us depend quite dependent on whoever our representatives are. And that isn't always the best thing for us. So we've talked a lot about like the investments and the cost of them you coming to like audit. What is that cost? <laughs> like where, where where are those numbers been? Where are they? <laughs> yeah. So do um, we even really want to know? I know. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm low is it gonna hurt my feelings? <laughs> Well, it's like everything else, right? It really depends on a lot of things. Like I just mentioned, if a facility has already been through, you know, three social compliance, you know, social, social compliance certification, that can be a very time consuming aspect of a, of a step audit, right? If we, if they have 500 employees in a facility and we feel like to get a good picture of what's going on, we need to, to talk to people in different departments with different, you know, different roles, not just the man, we need to talk to the right amount of people. And that can take a lot of time and time is what drives the money up. Um, so uh, in general, if I, if we're going to do a step certification, it's going to cost that facility probably somewhere between seven and $10,000 over a three year period. Could be a little bit more, could be a little bit less, but generally in that range. Um, and again, that's, that's driven a little bit by, are they barely meeting their criteria or are they passing with flying colors so we don't have to go back in and, and visit it, visit over and over again? Um, I also feel like, Ben, I was going to just say this, Sherman, too, to kind of comment further on what, you know, where you were getting it. I do like the idea of like, I have my own layered issues with just kind of the way things are set up in general, but I do like the idea of like these these bigger companies who essentially, you know, have the budgets kind of 
you having the service that exists to, to, for them. Because I think oftentimes if you look at smaller makers, they are inherently more sustainable and more conscious about what they're, you know, selling to their, yeah. their, um, their customers anyway. So I, there's a part of this that I'm like really on board with, you know, whoever, you know, the bigger factories, bigger companies, Target, whoever your clients might be, because they have those, they have the money um, and they, those costs should absolutely be there. It's like, they should be investing in this. So that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was, I was just thinking about that because I was thinking about the article in ESJ with, um, you know, why things cost so much, like when they're sustainable. And so I think it's just important to be like, hey, there's people who have to get paid to go in and, and talk to other people and make sure all the, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot to sort of, if we're going to unpack something, there's a lot to unpack from your your question there. I mean, it's, it's you know, obviously chemical safety, social compliance, all of these things are not just like new topics. Maybe awareness is continuing to increase, but it's been a topic for the industry to try and figure out how do we get better at every day for 20 some years, right? In some In some cases. Now that pocket of who's focusing on it is getting larger and larger and larger. And we're seeing the the issues either from a compliance standpoint or from a sustainability and uh standpoint getting to be more mainstream which is great because it 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 does what you're asking for which is what it raises more awareness it makes it uh, a higher minimum standard for companies that for manufacturing companies that want to work with big multinationals and so um you know at the same time i would say that there's a lot of motivation if a company wants to to cheat, whether it's a law or a voluntary standard like we're running, um, they're gonna they're gonna put a lot of resources into doing that, right? Where we would just rather see them put the resources into doing it the right way, and just then you know trying to convince them that actually we think it would be you know cheaper and better and and long term less management just to do it this way. We've already given you the game plan, like in the standard, it tells you what you need to do. Just do that. Um, but I think that's the challenge of, of OCATEX and other standards bodies as well, is to be part of that governance system. Because uh, when a company is, whether they're a really well-known brand or not, you know, their brand is at risk with every single product and every, there's people in those organizations yes. that are losing sleep every single night. Mm -hmm. because they know their job is to do that. And they, um, you know, they hope they're doing their best, but they know they're probably not perfect and there's something that they don't know or that they could maybe know more of or, or whatever, but it's a resource issue. And Okatex is doing the same thing. I mean, so while our brand might not be as well recognized today in the U.S. as it could be, there's plenty of room for growth there. Um, the Okatex brand is, help, is, is on the line with every one of these, right? So if we have a product that's carries the standard 100 label and somebody goes and tests it and finds that it's got harmful substances, that's a little bit of a, an, an injury to, to the Okatex brand as well, right? Because so we have to be on our game in terms of uh, governance around, you know, quality checking materials in the supplier and making sure that, that they're, you know, it's not just the first product that's tested and there's mechanisms in there that we don't even talk about because we don't want people to know how are we keeping making sure that they're staying honest with their certification and the same thing happens at the facility level so i think that's uh part of the value on the on the third party certifications is that you do have a little bit of 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 brand reputation or a whole lot of brand reputation i mean to be honest our whole brand for okatex is based on creating confidence and, tr and trust 
where there's doubt in the consumer's mind. Um, and so that's a big, a big piece of it. Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity as well to start looking for these types of certifications, like for people, especially from these larger corporations, because this is an opportunity for them to invest their resources in some good stuff and good chemicals and protecting workers like down the line from their supply chain. Cause a lot of them have a tendency to like, you know, step back because, Hey, we're not actually producing our garments. We're saying we're doing this, but this, you know, this is a, an opportunity for you to see, Hey, this has been tested. This is a third party test. You know, we have somebody that's really looking into this. And also just an opportunity for them to then invest in the manufacturing and in the process, because again, a lot of this uh, burden is on the manufacturing is on the factoring. And so having these larger corporations actually invest those money and invest those resources so that their factories, you know, can do what needs to be done. <laughs> like what a great and wonderful thing for everybody. <laughs> can you can you tell everybody where they can find out more about Ocotex and just where to find you. Where do you find you? Yeah. So uh, like everybody else, we have a webpage, right? So Ocotex, <laughs> O-E-K-O-T-E-X.com. Um, and it doesn't matter. Like we started, it doesn't matter how you say it, or if you say the wrong name, you as long as you can find us, then we can straighten that out later. Um, but on the Ocotex website, you find information about the standards, but you also find information about some of the tools that are useful for consumers, but also for, other brands and startup companies as well. Like, so there's resources on there to find who are the companies that already have certification. Can I source with them? And now I know all of these things are taken care of. So I don't now, even though the, you know, the cost is what the cost is, if that's already taken care of because somebody else is, is wanting that, then that's a good starting point for somebody that's really just starting a, starting a brand or trying to shift their brand around to be um, making more sustainable, safer, you know, or at least known safer uh, material choices. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Are you guys on social media at all? Yep, we are. So okay. the Okotex yes. has, uh, has Instagram uh, account, has Twitter account, has, you know, obviously a lot of B- B2B stuff on, on LinkedIn mm-hmm. as well. So, so Ben, cool. but we have your personal line now so we can email you with questions. <laughs> Sure, you can bother me joking. anytime. You can bother me anytime. Katie <laughs> knows I love to email a question now. <laughs> I had to tell Sherman at one point, leave them folks alone. But I, I appreciate it because we need more of that energy. I like how you guys have the good cop, bad cop thing already worked out ahead of time. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening and or watching. Unpacking Ethical is an independent video podcast hosted by the Ethical Network of San Antonio. Please follow us on Instagram and our YouTube channel. And hey, leave a review wherever you're listening.